making a no-budget film, it's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're you're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines, trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. I, this is how I imagine this production meeting goes. This pitch meeting, right? We, we want to do the happening, but we want to do it in a way that's more serious. We want to evoke the fear of not being able to see the enemy. And also, we were watching Jurassic Park the other day, and, you know, and dinosaurs only see movement. So what if we do the same thing, but with unseen monsters? What dinosaurs only see movement? In uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, the T-Rex. I think they imply that the Tyrannosaurus Rex doesn't see you if you don't move if you say it doesn't just apply i mean it does several scenes where they get but with the dinosaur puts his nose right by them and they stay really still oh okay that remember remember jeff goldblum decides he has to distract him so he like he gets the the road flares and he starts moving it so that they'll, they'll so he'll see his movement and he'll let the other ones escape no i don't remember anything from jurassic you, park you need to go back and watch it that's an excellent movie i remember there was Somebody, I think Sam Neill stuck his arm in a big pile of poop to he, investigate he some berries That's and nuts right. or something. That's right. Well, he, Face he's, first. A sci- he's a scientist. <laughs> he, sh- he had to get a good smell. <laughs> he's a Scheiser scientist. He's a what? Uh, he's a Scheiser scientist. He's a poop doctor. He's a poop doctor. Oh, That's it. Oh, Scheiser. <laughs> the German <laughs> word for uh, the science of fecal matters. Oh, okay. Poop. Everyone poops. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. Speaking of poop, this uh, this week we have a special guest to help us talk about. Whoa, whoa! whoa. <laughs> Don't... I've been called worse. Let's. It's let's okay. I could see. Speaking of no, poop, this no, week we're no. talking about some of the shittiest movies ever made. That's where I was going. That's where I was going. <laughs> we'll start with that. Oh, I was about to say to help us talk about some of the shittiest video game movies ever made. Okay. Sorry, just, sorry. You, you, well, I made it worse by cutting you off. Then I, I made you cut it, me off a little bit. Yeah, I, I cut you off, and I then I made it an insult when it wasn't. It was, That's right. Okay. It was never intended to be that. Let's introduce our guest actually, because he's just sitting here and he, he's you know he's a busy guy, <laughs> feeling like a real lump of shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we need to make up for that that horrible uh, intro that we've uh, coming to us. Uh, we well well we um. We got a friend uh, from the uh, Grave Talk podcast here today, uh, Mark, uh, host of the Grave Talk podcast. He, he, we, uh, when we decided to do an episode about video game movies, we, we kind of felt like we were a little bit in over our heads. So uh, we called up this guy because he's, uh, he's a bit of a video game historian and a, and a big time movie buff. And um, just about anything we're going to talk about today, his show is probably covered already. And so, uh, uh, Mark, yeah, hey, thanks for hi. having me. Happy to oh, join hi, you Mark. guys on the ground. Oh, haven't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Tommy. Was up. But yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to join you guys here on the ground house. So hopefully, you can lend a little bit of expertise into what it is about video game movies that that Hollywood seems to get so wrong. 
Sure, I'll do what I can. I fancy myself a gamer, yet I don't seem to have time to do it, but I'm still buying them at the rate that I used to when I had the time. <laughs> Which is a lot yeah. less pay time. That's right. That's what's that's uh, called gaming uh, when you're in your 30s. You just buy a lot of video games because you think you want them and you don't have time to but play them. you might them. get to them one day. Yeah, I'm literally dusting off games I bought three years ago and finally getting into them. I'm like, all right, let's try this one out. <laughs> Why did I pay full yeah. price? Well, so, so I guess uh, the question I have... Just to, just to launch off on this topic is, uh, are there good video game movies? Generally speaking, I can only think about maybe one or two that I would call an actual good film. Now, let alone, is it does it do the source material justice? That's another question entirely, I think, because a lot of these things are drastically changed. Uh, right. Example, Super Mario Brothers. Right. That, that should be at the top of the all-time shit list as far as video game adaptations. Yeah, and I would say that probably kicked off the whole making games into movies craze. That was oh, one of the absolutely. first ones back in 1993. Um, prior to that, we did have some you know, animated uh, crossovers. There was like a Qbert cartoon, there was mm. a Pac-Man cartoon and things of that nature. Right. Um, but yeah, to get the live action treatment, I think we started with Super Mario Brothers. When, uh, when was Captain Game Boy? Do you remember that show? Cap- that animated show? I think Captain and the Game in. Master. Oh yes, that's it. That's it. Yes, let's see. I've got. He look. had the he had the shooter. He had the gun, and he had the controller as a belt buckle. And I think at one point he had the power glove, right? Yeah, I think he could press a button. the The, the controller was his belt buckle, and if he right. pressed left or right on the D pad, he would zip to one side, and he could dodge bullets and projectiles. <laughs> and then hit the A button, he'd jump really high. Uh, that came out in 1989. Right. So it's gone up downhill from there. That's where it peaked in, in some people's eyes. That yeah. was the peak. Right, right oh, off the okay. gate. It never, <laughs> never really got better from there. A Saturday, a Saturday morning cartoon with a bunch of Nintendo characters kind of mishmashed right. together. That's, that's better than anything any major studio has done Unless you since. count The Wiz. No, is it The Wiz? No, The Wizard. The, the Wizard. Wizard. <laughs> wizard. The Wiz Wait. is a Michael Jackson telling <laughs> the, a Wizard of Oz, but oh, yeah, The Wizard with Fred Savage. Talking we should, about we should, we'll get, I'm sure we'll Fred get to Savage, Fighting Neverland yes. at some other point. But no, I'm talking about The Wizard with Fred Savage. Yeah, that was just a giant uh, sales pitch for Super Mario 3 that Nintendo put in the theaters for us to gawk at and be like, look, actual footage of Mario 3. I'm excited. Which which works. And it worked. Brilliantly. I did. I I bought it that summer. I got the. I I didn't end up. I wanted the power glove also because of that movie. Because remember that there's that whole scene where they find themselves the bat, at that uh, the, kid's house out yeah. in the desert, and uh, he they they go to play a game with him, and he's like, gets this special case out and opens it up, and he's like, I call this thing the power glove, <laughs> and he puts it on, and he's all badass with it. When in reality. You don't do so well if you play against your friends and you're using a power glove and they have a real controller because right. that thing that is kid's, well, first, kid's name in the movie is Lucas. He's the one that pulls uh, out the case. And uh, yeah, I, my neighbor down the street had a power glove and it was one of the worst peripherals I've ever used. And it was just a, it was just a controller on your wrist, right? So basically you go from being able to use two hands to control to now you only have essentially one to control everything. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Nintendo found um, some hand, uh, you know, manipulation hardware slash software that they bought the right to, and then dumbed it down so they could sell it to kids. And they only actually made two games that would operate and actually use it for its full potential. Otherwise, you're right. just, you know, literally using the D-pad, and you could kind of move your arm left and right, but it was so wonky. What anymore putting on? Well, it was, it was sort of an early precursor to the Wii, right? In some ways. 
No. But that, was that the intent, though? You could move your arm and it would control the... It did have a pair of sensors that you would attach to your television. Yeah. So in that regards, yeah, it was kind of tracking your movement, but I don't know if the technology in the Wii was straight from the the glove itself. I'd like to... You you know who who actually had the best uh, wireless controller like that back in the day? Like a a real wireless, you know, just like with uh, the Wii, how you can move it or with your cell phone, motion control, that kind of thing. Atari had something. It was, yeah, it was this wireless joystick and they stopped making it. Because it operated on uh, mercury switches, man. The oh, thing was shit. full of deadly mercury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it worked. I mean, there's something about uh, technology that uses, uh, you know, poisonous chemicals. It's just always yeah, effective. Yeah, I can't imagine why. But, I, uh, yeah, but you got that extra I think, risk. I think Wii needs to come. They need to bring the power glove back with Wii technology. So rather than holding two things that you would inevitably throw at your television at some point as it slips out of your hand three drinks in, just two power gloves. And that controls everything from now on. Why don't you just buy a really cool leather glove and duct tape a Wiimote to it cool. and just play that? Cool, that sounds. It, depends. What, <laughs> depends <laughs> what circles you uh, ride in. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Fellas, wait! I didn't fingerless. Oh yeah. Now yeah. we're talking. There we go. All, All right. right. So is it, it? So if so many um, video game adaptations are so bad. Is it is it even possible to make a, a good video game adaptation? Like what what is it that they're getting wrong? Is it is it the nature of what a video game is? Is it just a total misunderstanding? Like what what's what's not happening right? I would say that I think the studios that get involved with these properties, they're like, what's hot right now? Okay, Resident Evil, those are selling like hotcakes. Why don't we translate that translate that to the screen? I don't think they understand the source material well enough, or that they don't care. Right. So they. The thing is, is like, okay, so we're going to try to draw in the video gamers to come watch this product. Then why would you go about changing it so drastically? For example, like Super Mario. Like, why would you want to set it in New York and then have it in some weird post-apocalyptic lizard land that has nothing to do with the Mushroom Kingdom Kingdom whatsoever? Well, I can answer that to some degree in my experience. Uh, a few years back, we adapted a young adult novel about some mutant kids and um you know it was a little hard this was a book that were adapted to a film to a 90 minute film and obviously you're trying to cram a lot of material into 90 minutes something's got to give and a lot of times story a lot of times books will will lead to another book and so it's really tough to sort of make it work within those confines without just making it be a blatant like to be continued and i and i do and 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 I, i do remember at some point in the course of a meeting you know, one of one of our the people working on it was very um, was championing the fans of the of the novel, right? Like, it had a, a very rampant fan base. At one point, we said um, it, they're going to show up anyway, right? Like, we don't have to cater to your core audience because that core audience is coming anyway. What you try to cater to is everyone else who has no knowledge of this, and to try to make it work for them. Now, whether setting Super Mario Brothers in a dystopian lizard land was an attempt at that i don't know but i can say that from a from a production standpoint that line of thinking does exist i have a theory about super mario brothers that uh the film that it may have been one of those situations where someone had a script about uh because the film had you know this alternate world where dinosaurs uh lizards evolved to be the dominant species instead of uh mammals 
uh, reptiles did. And, and so I think it could have been one of those cases where someone had a script for something about along the lines of those, uh, that, that those elements. And then someone else, uh, had a desire to make a super Mario brothers movie and to save money. They just kind of went, Oh, well there's that weird script we haven't been able to use. Let's just turn that into a super Mario yeah, brothers movie. Yeah. That definitely happens pretty often. I think a pretty good example of that is going to be the Hellraiser franchise, especially the later half of that, or the latter half. Like half of those movies were something else entirely, and then they're like, "Put pin in it. Who cares?" Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they suffer, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can uh, I can totally understand, uh, you know, budgetary limitations. You know, I think we saw some of that. Um, I think cartoons also suffer from time to time, like Masters of the Universe. Um, right. That was set in New York. Oh, yeah. Didn't even get to see Eternia whatsoever right. and i'm sure that had something to do with budget or something yeah. like that yeah, no, it's it was. I, actually, New York. I actually just watched a documentary because I, I grew up a huge he-man fan and and oh, yeah. uh you know matt knows I, I recently got to work with he-man himself Dolph lundgren and um so i, I kind of did a deep dive you know knowing i was going to work with him i just like you know started reminiscing and uh the director had to fight for any eternia in the film at all because they they, they couldn't oh. afford any of that so um, and in fact, they shut the production down. So the final confrontation, uh, confrontation between He-Man and Skeletor, the reason that fight scene is so short is because literally the producers were coming and shut the production down. And they had to just, I think the director like put in his own money to just finish the day in, in order to like finish that scene, whatever they got out of that scene. Yeah, it's my understanding that Canon Films went bankrupt as they were filming that thing. And it was like, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a good thing the movie made so much money that they get back on track. After <laughs> yeah, the about that. And, yeah. Yeah, let me ask you one thing. Still waiting Dave, on that did sequel. You tell me you asked him to say, I have the power at least I once. I didn't. Oh. I didn't. I wanted. So, yeah, it was. He, he, he was. Um, we, we only had him for a couple of days. And, and my general thing is to, is to play it cool. But secretly, I was like, I'm working with E Man. He's got the power. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so, do you. So, is it. Is it Here's here's a question I have is like is is the nature of a video game just not compatible with the film? Uh, I was watching a short little mini doc on it on video game adaptations, and and one of the questions posed was um, because video game because the way the attraction of video games is that you are a character, like the, the character is defined by the player. You know, if you read a book, you might see yourself in the in the shoes of a Tom Sawyer. You might, if you're watching a, a, whatever, a comic book, you could see, you might live vicariously through Spider-Man. But in video games, even if there's a, a, a the, the facade of a character, his actions or her actions are determined by you. The interactivity is what makes the video game viable. And, and trying to translate that into a film where you're just, now you're just observing is oftentimes where these the, the very core of the stories fall apart. I think there is some uh, something to that. In terms of video games that have a silent protagonist, you know, ones that don't have any right. scripted lines or voice or anything, that mm -hmm. the character or the player will definitely project themselves onto that character, like a Link from Zelda. Right. He hardly right. ever talks. He makes some, yeah, you know, whatever chop noises or whatever he's doing. But that's it. So, yes, I think there is a, a good uh, case for what you said. Or, you know, like Doom. Doom guy never yeah. speaks. You are the yeah. Doom guy as you're running around murdering demons left and right. Wait, uh, so you're saying, first off, let's let's be clear. Link has a very memorable line that he does say. 
which is, well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> right. I mean, if, I mean, if that the, doesn't uh, define a character, I don't know what does. <laughs> excuse me, princess. Yeah, the animated series that came out uh, around the time Captain N came out. That's true. Yes. Yes. We, uh, that was, and that was not a uh, standalone show, wasn't it? It was partnered it was with a, the Super Mario Brothers show. That's right. It was like, like every, every Friday they showed a, week, uh, an episode every, of the Link show. Every Friday? Was it was it Lou Albino as uh, Mario brother? Was it was Mario? Lou, Alba- Lou Albano. That's right. He was Mario. I don't remember who I Luigi was. I don't think he was, was on the though. show. Oh yeah, there was. Lou- oh yeah, they Mario did have live AG action and, segments uh, where Captain Lou was wearing the Mario outfit, and they would kind of get into some yeah. hijinks and then cut to the cartoon. Ah, gotcha. And Captain Lou, he he sang the theme song. He would say, uh, "Shake your arms from oh, side yes. to side. Come on, it's fun. Let's all do the Mario." <laughs> That's that is something like that. I had that played at my wedding. Just to get back to your um, question, I think so, the other side of it, though, is whenever there is characters with fully scripted dialogue, and you kind of move them between the dialogue, I think that those can be adapted properly. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most recent ones that I think have worked very well has been the animated Netflix series that they've done for Castlevania. Oh, yeah, that was great. Um, my wife has no interest in that stuff, and she sat through both seasons with me, and I was like, this is actually pretty good. Um, so I think it really takes someone who actually loves the source material right, and then can fully know how the best way to adapt it. An, an example would be Mar- uh, Marvel's, what is it, Kevin Feige? Yep, Kevin Feige. He has direct uh, control over how the Marvel movies are presented from the comics. So you yep. need, I think, you need a figure like that that can help get these movie, uh, these video games translated properly. Yeah, I don't think that it helps that a lot of the a, a good chunk of video game adaptations have been directed or produced by you, Bull. That was probably oh God, a, yes, a poor <laughs> way to start it off. <laughs> oh well, he's a he's a visionary. You you is it you you? I don't know. Is that how you pronounce his name? Ah, he's amazing. I, 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 he's a real inspiration for me as an artist, just because he's that ego of his is incredible. I mean, a, any filmmaker that's you know just openly willing to fist fight his critics, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing to there me. Needs I, to be more of that. I mean, he he. he it kind of does, yeah. I, I something about that as an artist it really speaks to me. I mean, the guy is a jerk, uh, but you know how many artists aren't? Uh, you know, that's a big thing with art. You get a lot of a lot of big egos, you know, and a lot of people are just real, real assholes. And and he impersonates or embodies that better than anybody I yeah, can think yeah. of. What is what's a what's the best Uwe Boll movie? Mm. Uh, what did he do? He did the Postal movie. Did he do Blood I Rain? Wa- I, I didn't watch Blood that. Rain. Yeah, yes. Blood Rain. Yeah, he did which Blood was a video Rain. game adaptation, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Both of those yeah. were, yeah. So, and um, I mean, Blood Rain. Maybe there was some content to go with, but uh, Postal. He's just kind of flying blind. I mean, that was pretty much just a a game of total carnage uh, that I think got adapted into a film just based on its popularity alone. There really wasn't much there as far as story. Well, like to go back to something, Legend of Zelda, that feels like a, the the kind of game that you could adapt into a really cool, if not film series. Like, uh, imagine if 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 DB Weiss and the guys from Game of Thrones decide to adapt a Legend of Zelda world. I think that would be pretty incredible. But then you do run the risk of, like we just spoke about, um, having a a link that the viewer does not um, identify with. 
Right. That's right. True. Because everybody creates their own version of Link, you know, because they are that character. I think right. that might be one of the reasons that Nintendo has been very wary about bringing Zelda, because it'd be an absolute smash. If they brought yeah. a Legend of Zelda movie to the theater, people would go in droves to see that thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, because even with all the failures that previous uh, video game adaptations have had, they'd still tend to draw interest, at least until the reviews come out. And I think there's still a desire, in the same way that a few, like a decade ago, there was a desire for good comic book movies, in spite of how many times they failed. There's there's a big gaming community, and there's a desire to see these things work. They just generally don't. It'll be interesting to see if they're, you know, uh, I, I kind of get the idea that a lot of people these days are getting Marvel movie fatigue or comic book sure. movie fatigue. What is going to be the next one? Could it be video games? Because be. there's a lot of things that could be mined and done properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, video games right now, as far as storytelling goes, uh, I I have a you know friends that kind of say that's that's where they want to get their stories from these days. You know, uh, movies can only tell so much. Uh, there there's uh, with video games, you don't really have a, the same kind of time constraint. Um, you can kind of just let stories go and go, and and with DLC, you can keep continuing stories and. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, Mark, what are some recent video games that just, I mean, really kind of, you know, nailed the medium as far as storytelling goes? Uh, the, mo- the one that comes to mind immediately is a sci-fi horror game that came out that's set underwater called Soma. Um, this one is about a guy who kind of just wakes up uh, in a brand new world that he has no experiences with. It seems like everybody's died. There's only robots running around and you're thousands and thousands of feet underwater. And he's discovering what happened to him. Well, and, and 10 minutes before he woke up, he was in modern yes, day that's Canada. True. I forgot that part, but yeah. Uh, he goes yeah. in to get like a brain scan or something because he's having headaches or something along those lines. And then he has that's, a brain yeah. scan and wakes up underwater with robots. And he's like, what is going on? And the storytelling that's woven into this experience has been one of the... Uh, most in-depth jaw-dropping stories that I've experienced in recent time. Yeah, as, as far as like technology kind of horror tales go, it's it's on par with like a Black Mirror. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I've I've yeah. Se- I've seen and heard that a lot of writers and creative types are actually starting to move to the video game format because of the freedom that it allows them to tell a story. Right, like it's not just ninety minutes; it's not even a ten-episode series. It's this. I mean, your the your creative, uh, you know net can go as wide as you want it to go yeah that's true i wonder if people who've been in the industry just want to be able to stretch their legs and you know experience a different sort of storytelling yeah yeah and i think that's normal over time i mean i remember at one point i don't know if he plans on going through with it but tarantino was talking about moving away from feature films and moving into the series world again to give himself the freedom to tell a different type of story a story that would that could take seasons to tell Versus, you know, two hours, even three hours. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what everybody's into nowadays is uh, these serial films. Uh, I mean, because essentially it's what they are. You know, these these films that we're like all binge watching on Netflix. You know, they every episode's released at once. They're they're really just a lot of them are. Uh, you know, they're not even like low budget movies. They're uh, kind of like cinematic quality Absolutely. films just over a span of eight to 10 hours rather than, you know, one and a half hours. And you can fit a lot more of the details, a lot more character development. And I think I could see where a lot of studios would want to go. So, that way. so is maybe series a better avenue for 
for video game adaptations to be more faithful to the source material? Good question. I think they can, uh, as proven by Castlevania. And I want to say that the guys that are working on that one recently said they were going to adapt another one. Um, Let me just take a moment. I'll look that up. But um, yeah, if you're talking about a video game that spans 40 to 100 hours sometimes, like a Red Dead Redemption or a a Bioshock, and you try to condense that down into an hour and a half you know, big budget production, it's going to suffer. Right. Cause it's, it's just too much story to, to, to pare down. Even if you, even if you planned out something like a trilogy, you'd have to really nail the first one in order to even have the ability to get to a second and third film to tell your whole story. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I wonder if maybe they like, like, let's say that the one that felt like a movie that I played was called the last of us. Mm-hmm. where that was a very good representation of a zombie movie almost. And there was a lot of scripted elements. And again, that one is probably like a, what would you say, like a 12-hour adventure, Matt, something along those lines? Yeah, it's not one of those huge games that you just play for, you know, But that's hours. still a lot it's, of like character progression, a lot of story movement that, again, would be very hard to capture within a two-hour time frame. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when I was thinking too about what you guys were talking about, uh, where uh, filmmakers um, they film they feel that they have a kind of a hard time making uh, film adaptations of video games true true to the source because of that that aspect of the player uh, controls the character right. and you know every player with every player it's a different character and I I was thinking about what, one thing that I've noticed with uh, games that do have a bit more story to them is when when that character that you play as makes decisions that you would that you feel like you would make uh you know because there's those cut scenes there's times where you're not actually playing where you're just kind of watching the character make decisions and and when those kind of things happen and you feel like that's the that's the decision i would make you know that's what i would do if i were still in control i think those are the games that have a little better stories like uh one of the reasons we're even talking about any of this stuff today (laughs) is because a trailer came out this week uh, for a very popular video game, and already it's looking like the movie's not going to be so well received, and that was Doom. Is is the uh, Rock in it? Doom, Doom. Uh, no, it's this one doesn't have the Rock, and I, and I swear it's more of a sequel to that film, the the Doom film with the Rock, than it is a uh, adaptation of the re- most recent video game. But uh, when I played the n- new Doom, uh, the 2016 one, um, one of the things that just right away got me on board was. You, you know, you kind of wake, the game starts and you wake up in this room and you get in this quick fight. You've got a pistol and you're shooting demons and uh, then you put on the suit and you walk into the next room and this computer terminal turns on and this uh, scientist starts talking to you through the terminal, you know, telling you what's going on and kind of explaining the story. And before he can finish, the you, you watch your character just kind of reach out, grab the monitor and just smash it on the ground. Hmm. Like, <laughs> like before the whole game story is even explained right. to you, this guy's just already like, I don't care. <laughs> you know? And, and to me that was like, man, yeah, that exactly. We don't care. We're here to play doom. We're here to smash shit up. You know, we're here to be crazy. Like, I don't want to get all, you know, slowed down by this story and, and neither does the lead character of that film. Right, right. So what's going on now though, is this, you know, it's it's decisions like that in the game that made us fall in love with like really like i'm part of the doom fan club on facebook man like i'm kind of crazy about it you know i, I made doom art i mean it's uh it's a 
one of my favorite I'm games. I'm also a big like, Doom fan. I've got a Doom statue over here to my right. Um, yeah, I've oh, been yeah. playing those we since got a Revenant statue. Um, but yeah, it's it's nobody was asking for this movie. Nobody said, "Hey, right. could you please make a sequel to the Rock Doom film?" <laughs> yeah, but I would love a Doom movie. I would love to see some kind of you know crazy ambient heavy metal art film just with gore and violence and wild colors. I mean, something kind of. I mean, the closest thing I could think of right now is we did that. I was just going to say that sounds like yeah, like if, like if Patos was <laughs> like, was came in to direct his version, uh, untethered you know, free reign to do his version of a Doom movie, could it yes. get close to embodying the spirit Absolutely. of the game? I mean, what you love about the game? Absolutely, because that's what Nicolas Cage was in that film, man. He was just this, you know, barbarian on a quest to just destroy and kill until he felt better about everything. <laughs> and that's and what happens as Matt said, like, the Doom game takes its story so... It's, it's a minimal aspect of this. It's a perfect opportunity for someone to come in and write their own story. All you have to do is make sure you have uh, Doom Guy, the same demons that are in the game, maybe some of the same weapons, and you can do anything else with it. All you have to do is like right. hit those three things. Oh, put it on Mars too, and make sure the portal to hell opens up. Because in uh, the two, yeah, the two thousand five movie, it wasn't a portal to hell. They found some like mutated uh, syringe chromosome that they injected into people, and it either killed you and turned you into a monster, or you became a super soldier. Right, right. See, I'm. That's horrible. Uh, a Doom movie with no hell. And now, and I'm such a fan of Doom that Mark keeps saying Doom guy. And I'm such a fan of Doom that that bothers me. <laughs> it's, it's the Doom Slayer, uh, brother. The right. Doom Slayer. That's, that's, yeah, when I, well, at least when I play. People, people say, when I, yeah, we play Doom, I'm the Doom guy. I'm like, dude, I'm the Doom Slayer. And uh, so when they, they put this trailer out with no Doom Slayer in it at all. Well, maybe he's a maybe he's a surprise. I what if they did it? Um, do you guys see how oh, was that movie? Killing Gunther. No, I haven't heard that. It doesn't ring any bells. I believe the the antagonist is all shot in first person. Oh, interesting. So, oh, yeah, I'm looking at a poster now. It looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger's in this thing. Oh, you gave away the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it at the very end it reveals he's on the poster. Yeah, well, that makes sense. It, at the very end, it's revealed <laughs> that that Gunther is Arnold Schwarzenegger, an older Arnold Schwarzenegger. How disappointing and, uh, is this poster, the, man? They ruined the big surprise. <laughs> I know. That's all, the, the whole great... Because I didn't know anything about the film. My girlfriend showed it to me, and I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, put it on. And I'm watching it, and it's like, oh, this is a fun film. And then, like, it gets to the reveal, and I'm like, is that fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger in this film? It was way more better experience. And if I'd have seen it up front, I'd have been like, oh, it's a schlocky film, and I'd have probably passed on it. Interesting. Also, I still want to watch but, that. You, you know, know, this does remind me of another movie that came out recently called Hardcore Henry. That was also all first oh, yeah, person, yeah, yeah. but I literally think you could take something like that and just reskin it with Doom, and you'd have better than the 2005 rock film. Well, so that's that's that might be one of the biggest issues, right? Because these video games, in order for them to move into adaptation territory, they end up they're, they're massive franchises, right? They're massive properties, and it feels like what these games really need to get that true spirit is for them to be done more in the independent world, a little more free of studio interference and box office results and things of that nature but by virtue of the fact that there's such big properties and there's so much money it's attached to it that they they skip that stage and go they, they go directly either they go directly to big studios or they go to your bowl and there's like there's no 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 in between he's the guy that makes all the resident evil movies <laughs> yeah. he's he's done a bunch of those too yeah i don't forget who it is and and honestly the first resident evil movie was a fun 
popcorn flick that you could just throw on and, and turn your brain off to. Yeah, and people like those Resident Evil movies. I, I'm not a big fan, but uh, those... I do think there are probably listeners that are thinking, "Eh, well, those are pretty good, you know." If uh, if you're going to talk they're about not. movie adaptations, tell you right now, they're not. Hey, but there there is a uh, <laughs> horror uh, horror game that was adapted to film that is a very stand up horror movie, in my opinion. Are I you going to say I Silent you know Hill? What I'm talking about Silent yeah, Hill I, was really. I'm going to say right? out of all the ones that have been adapted to film, that is my favorite live action video game movie. Okay. And they did change but, they did change some ahead. stuff, you know. Uh in the video games sure. the cult worships a death god. In the movie they've swapped it to be more of a puritanical Christian cult. Um I think it's easier okay. to explain that to an audience that isn't familiar with the game and doesn't have the time to read through, you know, tons of memos and little things you find across, you know, a video game. So I'm okay with that change. Right. And but they did do enough to make it feel exactly like it's in Silent Hill. They pulled the soundtrack straight out of the game and put it into the movie. They nice. got the character designs properly. You know, the, the nurses look like the nurses from that universe. The reason I know about this Silent Hill stuff is because we just did an episode on the grave talk about it for its 20th year anniversary. Uh, we kind of broke down the movie, but uh, from my understanding, the director, Christo- uh, Christoph Gans, he went to Konami and was like, guys, this is one of my favorite games of all time. Would you please let me make it? Here's a little concept video. And they're like, yeah, all right. That looks pretty good, and then they let him run with it. But don't talk about the sequel. Oh, cool. Silent Hill Revelations is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you look you look at some of these. If, if that that Silent Hill seems to be the exception to the rule, right? Where someone who is passionate about the source material, who got it, who had a, who had a good solid take on it, was able to sort of run with it. Everything else just seems to be so off base. For example, you you casting first off. You're gonna make a Street Fighter adaptation, and Ra- and, and Ryu is not the main character. Instead, you go with Guile, all American and- actor John Claude Van Damme. He's known for being American, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, and it's not even like you attempted to have him pull off an American accent. Because I get it; he was a big star at the time, and he certainly has the martial arts chops. But you know, the only thing. Uh, good in that film was uh, M. Bison. Raul Julia. Yeah. A very, yeah, a very frail Raul Julia who brought, who chewed the scenery and brought as much excitement as you could possibly get with that film. But he was nothing like the M. Bison from the video game. He no. didn't even really feel that threatening as a character, but but he's a great actor. So it, And unfortunately, so his last was role good. was as Bison. Yeah. Um, that's right. She says one of the best lines ever uttered in video game history. Is it when Chun-Li yes. says that he killed uh, her family? He's quoted as saying, I'm sorry, I don't remember any of it. For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> nice. <Whoa>. Nice. <laughs> That's actually just a great <laughs> cinematic good. line regardless. The the only memorable line from that film, but it is. I mean, I, I knew what he was going to say. That uh, one is aged into so bad line. it's good, I think, I think though. Right. Yeah, it's... it's, it's well, maybe. Well, and also for, <laughs> for those of us around our age, it came out at a time where you can look back and, and, and just chalk it up to a part of your childhood. So you give it a lot of excuses that you might normally not. And in the same way that I do Masters of the Universe. Oh, sure. That, that makes total sense. Uh, when I was a child, I didn't go see the Mario movie. I didn't see Street Fighter. The first movie that I actually went to the theater because I was stoked for because it, it looked like the video game was Mortal Kombat. I wanted to talk about that because I 
will make the argument that that has held up as a very good adaptation. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, they had all the elements. The characters look like the characters. They had Goro, you know, they had John Johnny Cage yeah. signing a letter after he beat a guy up and threw or he signed his uh, his autograph on on a, you know, yeah. just like in the video game. Is it is it Scorpion that he that he signs autograph or he, t- he tosses the autograph after Yeah, he that beats sounds him? right. And it's on fire a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, even yeah, yeah, that's it. Even even the the spear coming out of Scorpio's hand, you know. Granted, this is the mid '90s, so the effects maybe don't hold up to 2018 effects. But for the time, I thought the the Goro makeup and and sort of um, uh, special effects were fantastic. I thought the VFX of with with Sub Zero and with uh, Scorpio were great, and it had a kick ass soundtrack. Oh yeah. The that is where that song originates from, I mean, if I'm was, not mistaken. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, none of that, none of that. Music and they took they took a couple yeah. liberties too. Uh, like they made Scorpion Spear a live creature, so when he shot it out of his right. hand, it like chased oh, him yeah, around and right. screeched. And I'm like, okay, that's a change I'm okay with. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, because it was they were kind of hiding in some forest, and it was like chasing mm-hmm. them through the trees yeah, little, or something. Little homage to maybe uh, uh, Evil Dead. Definitely. Yeah, I, I get that for uh, sure. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mortal Kombat was kind of fun. It had a little bit of the horror horror elements. Uh, as far as movies based on fighting games go, that's got. I mean, that's a that's a miracle that they were able to pull off something that entertaining because fighting game stories are terrible. Right. Like we were talking about the Street Fighter movie, you know, and Street Fighter games are still still coming out. Street Fighter really? Five. Mark and I play that, and yeah, oh yeah, they're still making games and. Uh, the most recent Street Fighter Five has a story mode that you can play, and it is the most difficult thing to get through. Not because it's hard to play Street Fighter, but because this story is so, uh, it's just terrible. It's like trying trying to take all. I mean, there's what, what like thirty sure. something characters now, right. and trying to weave the, all these weird eccentric characters together into one narrative. It's just a mess, man, and it, and it's horrible. It's like, I. I I think I got a couple of hours into the story mode. And, and surprisingly, it's Mortal Kombat, the video game that has the best story now out of all these fighting games. They've they managed to now, create a really good story. Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat same company, and, uh, but yes. Justice, the uh, the DC same company, uh, but yeah, the DC Comics fighting game. Both of those have pretty good stories. Now, I wonder, I wonder how much games. the Mortal Kombat feature film took from Enter the Dragon because they're kind of similar setups, right? They get invited to this tournament on this island-type place, and they've got to kind of fight their way through the ranks, and there's some undercover stuff going on. I wonder if they use that as a sort of a basis, along with what they actually got from the video game. I think that you'll find that a lot of the influences to the original Mortal Kombat game was directly pulled out of a lot of those kung fu movies, for sure. Um, Even the character design himself, Liu Kang, he's basically... Oh, 100%. um, Bruce Lee, yeah. Well, in a lot of the video games, the protagonist is Asian, right? Obviously, because a lot of video games are made in Japan, and but and a lot. You mean fighting? Games? Yeah, fighting games. Or... Yeah, and yeah. and and how many of them when they get cast? You know, we talk about Street Fighter casting not only Jean Claude Van Damme as Guile, but making Guile the lead character when he's not really. Um, how many of these movies? What? Well, hold on now. What about Ryu? Uh, Ryu, or however you say it, he wasn't uh, even well, Japanese. Sort of... uh, he was he was that kid from Blood In, Blood Out. Yeah, that? that's it. So I was gonna I was gonna say yeah. like how many so of these roles I, are recast? Well, I think they must have thought that he he did such a good job playing a white boy in a Mexican gang that they were like he 
he can play a Japanese. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you, you remember that movie blood in blood yeah. out where he, he grows up in uh, yeah, we all watched it when we were kids. It's a great film. And he's the only white kid in the barrio and uh, he joins the gang and Miklo. Yeah. yeah. He was Ryu. I was, that was a weird casting choice. Uh, in a lot of these other films, they recast the Asian characters. Either they put them on to the side or they recast them with other ethnicities. Sorry, we uh, we think that that guy might have played Ken, and we got. Oh, that doesn't. Either way, I think the guy. That's yeah, like, that, he was Ken. Okay, yeah. But either way, my point <laughs> being that like because that. so many of these fighting games that came out in the '90s were had an Asian protagonist, and for whatever reason, a lot of these films weren't featuring that. You know, they had to either do a casting shift or a character shift in the adaptation, which obviously again breaks from the source material. Well, you know, it's it's hard to adapt a video game to film. It's hard to adapt a comic book to film. It's hard to adapt a but, novel but to a comic book. I mean, the, there's always going to be limitations like that. you know, I think in the like last that. decade they've proven that it's not that hard to – well, not DC. But, you know, that it's not that difficult to adapt a comic book to a movie. And there's a, there's a formula for it. Now, we talk – Well, I think of like a uh, – I've not watched watch the show. Preacher? I don't know if I want to watch the show because I like – is it? Okay. It's good. Okay. It's oh, it's a blast. Yeah, but but the thing is, the first season was really weird and really slow. And uh, you know, Seth Rogen uh, worked on it, and he explained in an interview that just so much happens in the first issue of Preacher. You know, there's a uh, what a, a new god is born. Uh, all the people in a church die. A vampire gets uh, lost in this town, uh, you know, uh, they find a hit woman, like, you know, all these weird things happen that are very commonplace in comic books. And they all happen in the first issue of Preacher. And uh, that if they, they would have gone issue by issue to put that much stuff into a first episode of a new show, uh, they felt that it would have just totally sure, of thrown course. audiences off and uh, confused everyone. And I, I don't know, what do you think of that? Is, well, I think, is that kind of what's going on? I have the belief that, that any adaptation whichever direction it's going, is going to alter the source just based on the medium, right? If you were to, uh, Matt, as a sculptor, I'm sure that there are some differences between doing a 3D modeling and uh, working in bronze, even if you're ultimately creating the same thing, right? Okay, so... Yeah, yeah, there's things you can right. do in one that you so, can't you know, do in the other. It's, that's why novelizations yeah. of films sometimes to me are better because they're able to fill in gaps that the film couldn't, right? Because of time constraints or visual constraints or whatever it may be. Like, Wait a minute. Are you talking about the the source book no. versus the film? Are you yes. talking about where they take a film right, and they turn right. that so into you, a book? You, know, so a lot you of like times, those, yeah, books, because those books. The book, right. by the nature of the medium, is able to do something different that the film couldn't do. Like uh, My favorite film of all time is Blade Runner. I'm sure, I mean, obviously it depends on the, the, the writer, but I, I imagine that a novelization, not the source book, but a novelization of the Blade Runner film would have the ability to do things that the movie just couldn't do. So you would like to read Blade Runner the book based on Blade Runner the film based on Do Androids yeah, Dream I, of Electric Sheep by... Uh, Philip K. Dick. Uh, what's his name? Uh, by Philip K. Dick. So you want to you read the yes, book based like on the inception. film, based on the book. Story Inception. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, that's the way to get the best But that's my the way point to get of the it is, is that story, you, yeah. you have to treat each medium with respect. So, you know, I don't expect a comic book film to be a comic book. 
because the medium is just different. And I think you're not wrong. And I'm going to give you an example of the flip flop. Um, I think what it, it ultimately boils down right. to is the people creating the art or bringing, adapting something to a new medium has to have a passion for what they're working on. And secondly, they've got to have enough respect, as you just said, for the product. Um, Rockstar in 2001 or 2002 created a video game based on the movie The Warriors. And they did a really good job. They got all the original voice actors in that yeah. were still with us, of course. And they got new lines recorded. We got a like a prequel story to The Warriors, man. Like they are recruiting these dudes and it was so much fun to play. And then you would actually, as you played it, go through the moments of the movie. But you would control them. Uh, so again, okay. I think it really just comes down right. to, is there enough passion from the people making the product? Right, right. Although maybe not all of them. Maybe not every video game is suitable for adaptation to film. Well, look at what the, you know, let's think about what inspires these video game films. Is it that, you know, some filmmaker, some studio head is watching his son play a game and he goes, hey, what's that? And he starts playing with him and he goes, man, there's really something here. I can't believe no one's made a film of this. I can't believe the story hasn't been told. I don't think it is. It's it's the same thing that brings, you know, bad sequels to, to good films, you know, where it's like this, right. this film made so much money that we basically have the, the market research to know that if we yeah, make a sequel course. to it, we'll make our money back or we'll, we'll make a profit. Yeah, that's part of that. I mean, there's there, there are obviously all these major studios are all trying to buy up IP that come with a built-in fan base because that, in theory, translates into a built-in well, exactly. revenue. But I so, think, so you're I think the, also you're the writer a, that's been given the task of, hey, this video game made so much money, turn it into a movie. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you've most of these guys have probably. It's not like they're going to seek out someone that's a big fan of the game. They're going to, you know, ask them what their high score is, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, right. what, what do they, you know, how fast can you beat level three? You know, let's see what you got. You know, they're, they're not going to give it to like someone like that. They're going to give it to someone that's, uh, you know, that they've worked with, that's experienced. But for the most part, I, I got a feeling most of these writers are probably too busy to play video games. They don't know what they're really writing about. And they, and they just assume that, you know, because they're film writers, that the game was probably written and designed by some inferior storyteller. So why would they go off the source material anyway? There may be a little bit of that. I think there's also, um, I don't know if you guys have watched the YouTube channel, High Top Films, but he tends to, he's just, a, he tends to do some movie breakdown reviews and he's a big Spider-Man oh. fan. And he, he has a lot of uh, qualms with every iteration of Spider-Man that has come up. And in particular, the interference from Ari Avad, who's the producer out of, based out of Sony. And, there's uh, in in talking. What was the movie with the uh, Electro with Jamie Foxx's Electro? Was that the first Amazing Spider-Man or the second one? Yeah. Okay. So with the second one, there was this memo that leaked where Avad was talking about how EDM is really popular right now, and they got to work that into the film. And uh, you know, he, oh, no. he, he lists off all these really all these really random things and that are that are hot with the yeah. kids, right? And and they all get shoved into the film somehow. And, uh, you know, these are people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and older who are trying to have their finger to the pulse what is popular with young audience goers. And by design, there's going to be some failure in that. It's those old people <laughs> trying to be hip with the kids, man. It just doesn't work. Sometimes you got to know when to walk away. <laughs> and let let the younger so, kids make you know, the movie, I guess, what you, is what I'm saying. Is it Maybe me, some it, of the more is it me that's wrong? Is it me that's wrong? understand it better. No, it's the children <laughs> wrong. Well, what Mark just said gives me hope actually because what we haven't realized is 
the people running these studios and the and the, the the talent involved out there in Hollywood making these films are only starting to become the generation that grew up playing video games. They're only, you know what I mean? They're right. They're we're about to have a whole new generation of filmmakers that are the kids that you know daydreamed about what else was going on in the video games. Like I remember, like remember when we were kids, uh, you know. Did you guys play the first Final Fantasy game back in the 80s? It was, no. I mean, like Lego blocks, man. Like, you you know, you're it's supposed to be a, a wizard and a, a knight and all this stuff. And they're just, I mean, they don't even have faces. They're just, you know, blobs of color, uh, you know, blocks of color right. on the screen. But when my friends and I would draw pictures of these guys, you know, they were like really detailed pictures. And, and you know, because we, we would, and we would, we would make, um, you know, stories based on, from playing the game, we, you know, or, or when we pretend we would add so much stuff. And so what I'm saying is like, there's about to be this whole new generation of filmmakers that are the, the kids that, you know, played these games and put their own imaginations into them while they were playing. And, and that really understand that there's so much more there. It's not going to be these people that are going, you know, just given a task of make this video game into a movie that, that you've never heard of that you don't care about, you know, just right. make it into something we could sell. It's going to be like, the filmmaker who grew up playing it, who wants to do that movie. It's going it, to, you know, I, I think, yeah, we might be, uh, this show right now might be, you know, dated pretty quickly as like some new movies come out that are based on video games that come from well, inspired well, yeah, people. I mean, we're, we're the generation that really started playing video games with, you know, within five years. And so there are very few people who are in their late thirties, early forties that are top studio execs you know, making the yeah. decisions right now, but that will change in the next five to 10 years. You know, you'll start to get people more, it's exactly what happened with comic books, essentially, right? People who grew up in that sort of golden age of comic books grew to be at an age of influence and figured out a way to bring those stories to life. Well, who, who saw Ready Player One? I had no desire to I saw to that. See okay, so I haven't seen the film yet, but I read the book. And the book was just like Ernest Klein's love letter to all of the uh, video games he played as a kid, the music he listened to, the films he watched. And it, I thought it was awesome. I mean, it was um, it, it gave me a deeper appreciation for uh, late 80s, early 90s arcade games. Uh, it just it, it kind of it's cool. It really brings you back to that, you know, that imagination that you have when you're at that age, like a early teenager, just kind of exploring your world through media and uh it was really cool and uh, yeah it's a shame that people who uh saw the film are telling me don't go near it if you like the book because it's just terrible well that's that's another thing is steven spielberg as great as a, a filmmaker as he is is he the best person to tell that kind of story it, the idea was i think that um he the story involves so many different franchises from like transformers to uh uh, what else is in there? Um, Freddy Krueger. No, uh, was he? I, maybe in the movie. The character drives around a DeLorean from right. Back to the Future. There's That's a right. Mechagodzilla the in the book. It has the Ghostbusters logo on it, and it's also Knight Rider. Uh, it has like, like it has the nice, mind of nice. Knight Rider. Um, if you took these '70s and '80s and put it in a blender and then yeah, dumped it, it on really a book, cool. like this is what yeah. it was. So what happened in the film that made it so bad, Mark? It was just okay. It yeah. wasn't a great story on film per se. They relied heavily on nostalgia, yeah. and I think yeah. it showed. Yeah. Well, at, at the core of it, whether it's coming from a comic book or coming 
from a video game franchise or a book, it, it's got to have solid, you know, film storytelling at its core, you know, followed by solid film acting at its core. Like if you miss those items, it doesn't matter how much nostalgia you slack on there or even how how visually it might be similar to the source material. Like if those things are missing, then it will be a, a film that's lacking. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that the movie was created just to be like, oh, all you 80s kids, just go in and unplug your brain and watch all the stuff you're familiar with. And that was the focus. Whereas the storytelling of right. the book, you know, the adaptation to film might have been secondary. Well, one obstacle yeah. that just yeah. immediately hit me when I heard they were going to make a film of the book was that most of the story of the book takes place in virtual reality. And it's and it's not... It's hard to make a film, and it's not like you know we were talking about Lawnmower Man, which isn't a great film to begin with. But at least that film is is a so story about real world, you know, experimenting with virtual reality. This, I mean, Ready Player One, it's like the plot takes place in virtual reality. Like that's that's where the story takes place, and and, and they well, are playing for real world consequences. But it's hard to, I think, it's hard to make a film where essentially you're watching people play a video game and you're supposed to care about it like it's real. Let's, well, maybe. And, and I'm not saying this film doesn't have its own sense of flaws, but I thought Tron Legacy did an excellent job of setting us in a quote-unquote virtual reality in a way that looked visually stunning and didn't look like you're just wasn't watching a video Tron, game. Tron, wasn't that one like the characters were AIs that lived in that world? No, they're, I mean, it's yeah, they're, it's all AIs, it's what, they're all computer yeah. programs. They're all code. What's that? But there, but there weren't really. I mean, but yeah, but there, it's it's all set in essentially a game or or a, you know a right. digital but to, space. But to them, the world is real. That's what I'm saying. True, but I think you could. I think instead of leaning so heavily with the visual effects, they could have done something more in line with that. Where yes, they're playing a video game, but it doesn't look as an audience member. It doesn't look like you're watching Avatar three. Right. Yeah. Is there, is there an Avatar 2 already? It's on its way. Oh, I was like, There's actually four <laughs> movies slated to come out in that <laughs> franchise. I, I want to pose this. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, let's say 15, 20 years from now, when maybe our generation or the generation next to us is making, say, a Minecraft movie. Do you think the, the younger kids that grow up with that will react as viscerally as, you know, our generation did with the Mario Brothers? Well, I think that by the time that generation gets to making those types of films, I'm hoping that they will have as a precursor been this generation having made faithful adaptations to the films that we grew up on. So hopefully by that point, it will be more accepted to make good films out of video games. You know, it took, uh, I mean, it took a long time outside of the first Superman movie and maybe, you know, Batman 89, it took a long time, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man two before consistently you saw good yeah, that's comic true. book movies come out you know and i and i th- and i'm and i'm hoping that by the time a generation of kids who grew up on minecraft who are probably only in their early 20s at this point still get to a point where they can make their own films that they'll have already been an established um template for how to make a, a faithful or strong adaptation of a video game franchise that people grew up with and loved I think we have a litmus litmus test coming out this year. There's two movies coming out that I think are going to compare contrast and quality greatly. And that is the Detective Pikachu movie, which is based on a video game. (laughs) That actually looks really cool. I don't even like Pokemon, and I'm probably going to go see it. 
Is it an, is it animated? It's live action with uh, oh. CG Pikachu voiced by Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> okay. um, I'm in. It's a mystery in, story. Yeah, it looks really neat, and I think it's going to be cool. On the other side of this coin, we've got the live action Sonic the Hedgehog movie coming. Oh, that's right. And I think that one's going to be terrible. So I think we're going to get to a point really soon where maybe studios will notice, be like, hey, how come nobody liked a Sonic movie, but everybody liked this Pikachu movie? Right. Maybe they can learn some lessons and apply that to future filmmaking on these adaptations. The last Mm. thing I'm going to say on this subject is that uh, until we have, until we get to a point where video game movies are being made because talented young filmmakers are having have scripts that they've been wanting to make for years about video games that they love and they've got visions and dreams that they want to bring to film that came from playing those games until we get to that point we're not going to have good video game movies well said well said so for anyone out there listening um get get to it if you grew up loving video games if you grew up with a with a, a franchise that you feel would make a great transition to the screen it's up to you to write it because we've seen what the the established figureheads are doing with them and it ain't looking too pretty so it's kind of up to the next generation to to lead the charge get passionate in your artwork that's right that's right and mark we just want to thank you for being here tonight with us uh grave talk podcast check it yes. out when, when do your episodes come out for grave talk uh, we release them every tuesday weekly um we try to kind to uh we try to bring a feeling of like, hey, I just watched a movie and I want to get out and then talk with my friends about it. That's kind of the vibe we're going for. So it is recommended to watch the film that we're slated to talk about beforehand, but you don't have to. Turns out a lot of our audiences don't and they don't like horror movies and they want to listen to us talk about <laughs> it. And that's totally okay. But yeah. What's, uh, what's the next episode you guys have? Uh, let's now? see. Today we recorded two. We did one on Pumpkinhead from 1988. Nice. And uh, we did 2005's The Descent. Okay. So those will be right. coming out Excellent. soon. All right. Be checking it out on what, iTunes. Yeah, we're on uh, iTunes, the, Stitcher, the... SoundCloud, TuneIn. Uh, you can go to www.thegravetalk.com to find out what we're up to. I awesome. Highly so recommend that, checking y'all. it out. Yeah. Cool. Well, I had well, a great time, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we'll hopefully mm-hmm. have you on again soon. Anytime you guys want to talk about video games or anything else, just hit me up. Sounds good. And for uh, Dave, Matt, uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. You've been listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the But To Me It Was Tuesday network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and wherever all fine podcasts can be found.